Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, my first guest today has a very interesting approach to innovation. He never takes the standard approach to anything, which is what makes him stand out from the competition. And he does indeed stand out from the competition because he's the very best at, at what he does. His first innovation opportunity came as an opportunity to innovate within his own life. He became a job creator as he led his company's re-engineering practice. And we talk about that where he re-engineered and added tens of thousands of jobs. And you'll get that right here in this episode. To tell us how he was able to do that and how we should all redefine innovation, please welcome fellow Hall of Fame speaker and best-selling author, Stephen Shapiro, to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Hey, Jeffrey, always uh, awesome to see you. I'm so excited to be here today. You know, and we do talk quite a bit, you know, because we get together at uh, one, hey, because we both like Scotch, so we do a little Scotch Sundays where I invite people to come and, and uh, you know, it's just a way for us just to have an excuse that we can tell our wives that we can drink Scotch. I think that's really it. And then, of course, uh, the Hall of Fame, we're getting together on the Hall of Fame group, gets together uh, at least once a month, and of course, you're you're on the leadership team of that. So uh, thank you for all you do for the industry. I, let me ask you a first question. How are, how are you redefining innovation? What's the key for anyone to do that? Well, I, I think the key is to recognize that in the past, innovation has been a lot about just people sitting around coming up with crazy ideas. And look, we need ideas, but at the end of the day, and I think we're seeing this more now with the pandemic, is we need to be problem solvers. And yeah. so it's not about the answer as much as it is about the question. We need to go back and really rethink, are we solving the right problems and are we solving the right way? Well, and you know, you can't just put up like a department of innovation, right? I mean, I, I, I remember that when we were really starting to go through in the 2008, 10, 11, you know, everybody was talking about innovation. It became kind of a, a, a you know, a catchword, a catchphrase for everything. But really when you talk about, and then so everybody was saying, oh, we're going to have to have an innovation department. I thought, can you do that? No. No. <laughs> I mean, it's been interesting to see the evolution because I've been in innovation now since 1995. So this, this yeah. is, you know, I started before the this world is old really, school. I mean, yeah. it, like back in the day, innovation was pretty much just about creating products. That was it, nothing else. Yeah. And, you know, and the pendulum swung so far over to we have these electronic suggestion boxes and we ask everybody for their ideas. And it's just <laughs> none of this works. I mean, we're just creating a lot of wasted energy and the, the, the innovation teams and departments can work if their goal is to enable everyone else to be innovators, not for them to be the innovators. You know, I think the, the biggest thing about innovation isn't the concept of innovation. It's the implementation of the innovation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've always said an idea without, without, you know, implementation is just air, you know? Yeah. And it has <laughs> to, it, it even goes beyond implementation in some respects, it's adoption. And it, it's, it's interesting oh, if yeah. you think about, you know, some of the, I just wrote an article for Inc. this morning that'll get published uh, later, where I talked about the ATM machine in the 70s cool technology for getting cash out of banks, but nobody wanted it. So it was implemented, but it failed until the blizzard of 78. When New York City shut down, people couldn't get cash. And now the only place you get money was from an ATM machine. Right. So it's amazing how sometimes disasters can create adoption. And I think that's really one of the key things with innovation is adoption. 
Well, that's what we're seeing right now, isn't it? I mean, we're in the middle of disaster, I think, without question, you know, or potential for disaster. But even in bad crisis, there's good opportunities for a lot of people. Um, You know, a lot of people's businesses are up, myself included. I've never been busier in my life, but it is not without its pain, a lot of freaking pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I woke up this morning. I mean, I was yelling at anybody that was near within 10 miles of me. Okay. Just because I was cranky and everything, because the stress is tough some days for us, right? You know, running the business and so forth. But you're a machine, though. I got to tell you, I I just look, I I subscribe to everything that you send out. And I just, I am blown away by just your level of energy, your tenacity. I mean, you, you know, drive and thrive. I mean, that you are, you are the, you know, dictionary definition of that for sure. Well, thank you, brother. But what, I mean, what are you going to, what else are you going to do? Just go back in a hole and cry and eat some bonbons. I can't do that. First of all, I don't like bonbons. You know, <laughs> second of all, I'm not crawling in any hole, man. I'm going to get on top of the horse and ride. So ride, but, but right now, you know, every business to be really successful to, or, or to even survive, but not mention, you know, drive and thrive. I don't, I don't I'm going to take that word survive out of your minds, folks that you're listening in right now or watching. It, it's not about surviving. It's about drive and thrive. I mean, it's about growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not moving the needle, you're dying. So I want you to, I want to see you innovate. And I think innovation's a, a big part of what you have to do. You have to think of new ways to serve people. I mean, you know, to, 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 you know, to be, to be a, to, to serve your customers, right. Is innovation more important now than it was say two months ago or three months ago? I think innovation is all we have right now. In fact, you know, and, and it comes back to something you said a little earlier though, is I, I think there was a misconception around innovation. I think a lot of people think of innovation as a nice to have, and it's something which we do when, you know, we have some spare time, but look, if companies aren't innovating, if they aren't rethinking the way that they do business at the most fundamental levels, they will be out of business. And so I think innovation is the absolute most important uh, asset that we have in an organization right now is thinking differently. Totally. Yes. Speaking of thinking differently, what's the title of the new book that's out? Uh, the new book's called Invisible Solutions. And the subtitle yeah. is 25 uh, Lenses That Reframe and Help Solve Difficult Business Problems. I love the book and uh, and everything about it. And I I just love when I ever have a discussion with you. I, it's so in depth, it's so deep and insightful. So the book is like that. All the work that you do is like that. I mean, even your card deck. You have a card deck. Tell everybody about your card deck. I sure. love that card deck. Well, actually, I just happen to have a always have a deck <laughs> next to me. <laughs> so it's, it's something called Personality Poker, and we have a digital version of it too. If you go to personalitypokergame.com, you can play. The the digital version of it. But basically what they are is they're poker cards that have words on them. This one is yeah. goal oriented. You've got some that say, you know, compassionate. And so we've got 52 different cards with suits, colors, and numbers and words. And people trade them to collect the five words that best describe how they see themselves. They gift cards to others. So you get to see how others perceive you. And then based on the suits, colors, and numbers that you end up with in your hand, we'll tell you all about how you contribute to the success of an organization. So it's just a lot of fun. A side note, you know, we've got our high stakes form coming up in June. We've got to get, get some of those cards to give away as part of the door prizes and things. We'll have to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back on that. Hey, how can business owners create a culture of innovation? I think the key to creating a culture of innovation is to, first of all, recognize that the goal of a leader is not to have the answers. And I think a lot of times the arrogance of the leader is what is the disaster for the company. 
the role of a leader to me is to ask better questions. And the purpose of those questions is to get everyone else in the organization to ask better questions. So my perspective on innovation is that it really is about finding the most important problems to solve and reframing them ways that will create the greatest value. And a lot of times leaders stop that because they believe they have the answers when in fact, the answers are actually in the collective of the organization, not in the minds of one person. That's pretty cool. So, you know, I, I try to get innovation kind of as a culture of it, you know, in, in terms of having the team like accept responsibility. What do you think is the core piece to innovation that you have to have with your teams? Well, I like what you just said there. I mean, it really is about responsibility. People have to feel as though they're an owner of the business at some level. Right. Like there is an upside for them doing the work. And, and unfortunately, I think what's happened in a lot of cases is uh, I've seen this so many times. People go off to take creativity training and they get back to the company and their supervisor says, you know, put your head down, stop this nonsense, just do your yeah. daily job. And that's yeah. what kills it. So we need to empower people. Some of the companies that I love the most actually have a great way of incentivizing people to develop solutions to the most pressing problems, giving them a share of the profits uh, in some cases. But it, it really is just about uh, recognizing the value will come from each person who's having a conversation with your customers because they will really understand what's happening in the market. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back and we'll talk about some of those incentives for innovation right after this quick message. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. We're doing a live cast on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Uh, we're, of course, taping an episode of All Business with Jeffrey Hazel on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. And we're so excited to have our guest with us, Stephen Shapiro, Innovation in instigator 24 hours a day seven days a week this is what this guy is doing in innovation Stephen shapiro and of course he's got a brand new book out bestseller uh invisible solutions you got to rush out and get that you can tell it's his when you go don't look for those you know fake copies out there his is the original purple one it's the one that's purple it's all purple it, right before the break Stephen, we were talking about incentives what other incentives besides just money and a pat in the back that we can do. And I, I, I think most people are always looking for the pat in the back. Money's cool, but they're always looking to belong, you know, and be a part of it and be recognized for, hey, look what, you know, Andy did today. Right. Look what the team member did. Is there other incentives that you can provide? Sure. So I, I sort of think about it like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, and I just simplified into instead of five levels, but it maps pretty nicely to three levels. So at the base, you have compensation. And for some people, look, if you can't pay the bills, compensation is going to be a great motivator. But you're going to, the problem is you're going to only do just enough to get the money, not enough to do it right. So the next level is community. And community now is where you feel like you're part of something bigger. You're part of whether it's that pat on the back like you were talking about. But the highest level is contribution. Uh, and a lot of people just want to feel valued and they want to know that they're adding value and that uh, the work that they're doing is making an impact. And unfortunately, we don't take enough time to make sure people feel that sense of contribution. 
Yeah, I think that's a big thing. Hey, tell me about your fast model. I used to do that. I used to have a fast model at Kodak when I was there because I I, I try was tried to move this co, uh, you know this entire innovation of you know culture of innovation change trying to drive change and I called it fast as well. I don't think it's the same. Mine stood for focus, accountability, simplicity, and trust. And of course, it meant speed. But what's right. your fast model? What's it stand for, and what does it do? Actually, it, it's an acronym also. Uh, the first one is FOCUS. Uh, so no. it's FOCUS, focus yeah. ASK, SHIFT, TEST. They're actually the four steps oh, of the innovation cool. process. Yeah, So sure. FOCUS means uh, you can't be the best at everything. So figure out what is your differentiator, and then you innovate where you differentiate. So that's where your focus area is. Solve the most important problems. Uh, the ask is about asking better questions. That's really a big part of the new book is how do we reframe problems to make sure we're asking them right? Shift is about shifting our mindset. I believe that expertise is the enemy of innovation. So if we're only talking to people in our industry, we're only going to get past-based solutions. We need to find ways of shifting our perspectives. Then finally, test is about experimentation, not failure. So that's the, the fast model. Well, there was a real gem in there. I'm going to wait till the end of the show to kind of disclose what I thought out of that was really important. They're all important, but there was one that you said I thought was a real gem, and I'm, I'm going to cover that in what I learned. Hey, you had a 15-year a tenure at Accenture where you led their reengineering practice. You know, how were you able to shift that re-engineering, re boy, I have dyslexia, of the verbal dyslexia sometimes. How were you able to shift that re-engineering into creating jobs and growth? Yeah, you know, it, it, it was like sort of an existential meltdown for me. What happened was I was leading this practice and we would go around and help companies uh, re-engineer. Basically, all re-engineering meant was optimization, efficiency work. Yeah. So we would go in and we would make companies more efficient. And one of the things that I figured out uh, unfortunately, is that when you optimize a company's processes, they will ultimately downsize their workforce. And I was uh, working with a company where 10,000 people were losing their jobs. And I saw the impact of those lost jobs. And I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So I took a leave of absence and I decided, well, I liked what I was doing. I liked helping companies, but I wanted to help them grow. And that's when I created this innovation practice in 1995, 96 timeframe. And we grew that to 20,000 people. And that's what I've been doing for 25 years now is my, my belief is we have a responsibility as leaders and organizations and people who help leaders and organizations to help them grow. It's not about efficiency. You can't shrink your way to success. You can only help innovate and grow your way to long-term success. You know, that's an interesting point. Why would you grain all these efficiencies, then you're going to downsize your workforce. Why wouldn't you take those people that you've invested in already, that you've known, they know the company, they know the ins and outs of the company. Why wouldn't you reinvest in them to move them to different jobs? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. And I think in some cases, what it is, is the, the uh, shareholder pressures, you know, so yeah. if, if they're not hitting their quarterly earnings, you know, it's great to get efficiencies, but if you don't actually take people off the payroll, you don't get those quarterly earnings. So I think there was that knee-jerk reaction. And certainly in the, uh, the early 90s when we were doing this work, that was the, the, the strategy. But I think people, people are getting smarter over time and they are recognizing that we need to create efficiencies in order to create innovation. And I think that's one of the misconceptions is people think they don't have time for innovation. But I actually think we do have time if we take time away from other activities that are less important and then start investing in innovation. What I found is we can actually, you know, increase the amount of innovation in an organization, you know, double the investment in innovation without spending one extra dime when we get smart. 
Yeah. So what made you leave corporate America behind to become a full-time innovation speaker? Uh, so I had a book that came out in 2001. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the launch date was actually September 12th, 2001, a great day for uh, a book oh, launch. Wow. Uh, Holy moly. Well, then again, March 3rd for my book launch this year was not exactly the, not uh, the best. <laughs> yeah. I, can you stop launching books? <laughs> I, I'm causing problems. I think is the, the real answer here. Um, I'm so, <laughs> oh. But I had already planned to leave and I, cause I, yeah. I, I met some other people who were traveling the world and giving speeches and I, I loved it. I loved, I loved the stage. I love, but I love making them make an impact with lots of people. And as a consultant, you make an impact with the project team, but I like to make an impact with as many people as I possibly can. So I just loved writing and speaking and traveling and, you know, and I still fortunately get to do that even when I'm at home. Oh, that's fantastic. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're on a live cast on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're broadcasting live and taping our C-Suite radio episode, All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Today, we're talking about innovation. I'm talking with Hall of Fame speaker and best-selling author, Stephen Shapiro, the innovation instigator uh, at 24-7 Innovation. Uh, and we're just having a great discussion. Hey, let me talk to you about Girl Starter Program. That was something that I kind of got to know you about first before we became on the speaking circuit together. Why did you become involved with that? You know, it, it was a, they approached me about, uh, well, first of all, going back a little bit is one thing that a lot of people don't know about me is growing up, I wanted to be a game show host. Uh, I love the gong show and Chuck Barris to me. I just, I, I love this guy, his energy. He was, he was crazy as anything, but I loved him. And so if, if you do that, if you do the gong show, can I be, can I be the dancing machine? What was Gene, Gene, the dancing machine. Jeff, Jeff, the, I don't know if they come up with something that would do that. Love it. Love it. I love uh, that show. I used to love to watch that show. You come home from school to be on. That was a cool show. Yeah. So it, I just thought he was the coolest guy and that's what I wanted to do. So when I was approached to do a TV show, uh, you know, be a regular guest on the show, yeah. I was like, sure, why not? And, but I also thought it was very interesting is, you know, the, the, the premise of the show is how do we get basically, you know, college age women to launch their own businesses? And how do we support them through that process? And so it was just a really great, you know, it was only one season on the TV show. And then we did a little bit of a, a speaking tour, but it was just a great experience for me. And hopefully it was a great experience for the people who watched the show and the women who were on the show. Yeah, I think it's cool. Anytime we can help other people, help entrepreneurs or help, you know, even seasoned business executives, of course, that's a core of what we do here at C-Suite Network. So we're pretty excited and we're excited to that you're one of our key members as well. So thanks, thanks for being a part of it so far. No, it's, and I have to tell you, this has been a, an even better time to be part of it. Just the amount of energy you put into the group and the meetings that we have, it just feels like you have a community and when you, when you, even when you can't be in person with people. You know, it's been, it's been kind of interesting to watch it kind of blossom under this new model. And that's our pivoting that we've been doing is how do you take what's been a physical networking group, right? Uh, that the real values at the meetings and you turn those meetings to digital meetings and what, guess what? They're more valuable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can do exactly. them a, a lot more frequency. It's, you know, I got to tell you something about this, you know, people listening and you talk about innovating and I'm telling you, we innovated on a dime and, you know, rather than step back, everybody kind of step back a little bit. I said, we're not stepping back. We're going, we're going, we're going. And we're doing these every week and we're going to do different huddles. We're going to bring people together. And guess what? I'll tell you the result of this. 
we right now, like let's take our hero club, our hero club, hundreds of members, and there's only been a handful of people have, that have not been able to make the meetings. A handful. Mm. That's that says something over a period of like seven, eight weeks, right? That we've been doing this, we're t- we're touching almost a hundred percent, maybe two percent that we're not touching. That's I got those numbers yesterday and it blew me, blew me away. That's that's innovating, isn't it? That's innovating. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, innovation is just value. I mean, I know we, we get caught up in the meaning of the word, but if we are creating value for our customers, they value it, which in turn gives us value. That's innovation. I mean, to me, it's about relevancy. You know, it's, yeah. we, can, we can strip away everything else. To me, innovation is being relevant. If you only deliver things in person, you are irrelevant. So how do you become relevant? Well, you got to get clever about it. How do you differentiate yourself? How do you offer something that when everybody else is going virtual, that's still different in the virtual world? So that to me is relevance. Yeah. And then how do you become so valuable that they don't want to give it up, that they want more of it? They want, they, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out is, is, is higher than, than the cost of participation. Right. Right. That's, right. that's important. Right? You guys have to think about that. That's a real key part of this piece. And in terms of innovating and reinventing yourself, and there's so many people that are going to be doing this. I mean, um, you know, people who have been laid off, people have been furloughed, that this is your opportunity. I hate to say that. I hate, hate to see what's happened to you, but this is your opportunity. What would you tell to somebody about in, innovating themselves, to, to changing themselves, to make themselves more relevant now and provide more value than ever before, Stephen? Well, I, I think, you know, the simplest advice I would have is assume everything you've done in the past is irrelevant. So mm-hmm. look at the world with fresh eyes. And I, because I think, you know, we, we talk about past successes, no future or no predictor of future success. I actually think past success is often a predictor of future failure because we get so complacent or we believe what we did before is going to work for us in the future. And mm-hmm. so in our personal lives, in our business lives, whatever it is, assume everything that we've done in the past is irrelevant. It doesn't mean it is. But how can we now really focus on the value that's needed? How can we focus on relevancy in today's market? Yeah, it's kind of like you get yourself into a rut, don't you? Sure. You know, as a company or as, a, as an exec, as a person, same old thing, same way, every time. That's when, that's when, boom, it hits you, right? And I think that's what you got to be thinking about is the, the, second, the second you get it perfect is the time in which you start to have to change it again. Exactly. I, I love this quote from Scott Cook and Intuit. He said, for every one of our failures, we had spreadsheets that looked awesome. And I just, <laughs> I think that's one of the most brilliant statements. Look, we, you know so how true. this works. We can justify it. I remember when I was at Accenture, we'd create a spreadsheet. Numbers didn't add up. So we changed the spreadsheet. We could justify anything we wanted. It didn't mean who was right. I got to tell you, you know, we're doing this whole C-suite supply stuff and I'm working with one of my partners and we were working with this one partner who's all he's doing is talking about, you know, how he's going to sell it, the way he's going to sell it. And I said, he's living in a PowerPoint fantasy. And my partner says, what do you mean? I said, there are certain people who worked in corporate jobs for so long that they really good at talking themselves into a PowerPoint that makes sense. You know, not based on behavior, not based on innovation, but this is their model. And they're so convinced that it's worth a billion bucks or a hundred million or whatever it might be. In this case, it's, it's hundreds of millions. And, and I'm saying it's a PowerPoint fantasy, PowerPoint fantasy. 
Yeah, for sure. a spreadsheet, a spreadsheet of failure. I love it. I love it. Hey, Stephen, what what a pleasure to talk to you today, and so so glad to have you a part of it. Congrats on the success of the book. Uh, you know, Invisible Solution: Twenty Five Lenses That Reframe and Help Solve Difficult Business Problems. Man, a runaway bestseller. It's just a pleasure to have you right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Well, Jeffrey, always a pleasure to see you, and you know, good luck with uh, all the amazing things you're working on right now. The end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. Now, coming up right after this is the former head of advertising age, and we're going to be talking to her about soul and art and how to really change yourself in order to be better for your organization. But I really had some real learnings from Stephen. I always like Stephen. As you know, he's a very good friend of mine, and we sit around and talk quite often, and we innovate. So we're always looking for different ways to improve. And so um, I tell you what I took was from his fast, fast. Uh, remember that? And we talked, it stood for focus, ask, shift, and test. And he mentioned around focus, he said, you can't be an expert at everything. Aha. I find a lot of people think that they're experts in everything because they are good at one thing. And if you're good at one thing, doesn't make you an expert in everything. You might know a lot about everything, but I'll guarantee you, you're not an expert. You're, you're a maestro in one thing. You're not a maestro. You know, if you're a maestro in a, in a violin, you're not a maestro on the piano. I'll guarantee you that unless you do a lot, a lot of practice, but typically not everything. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Don't forget to tell your friends. My next guest sent me a pomegranate. Now, I think I talk about it in the show as a pumpkin. I always thought it was a pumpkin, but my team said it was a pomegranate. But I think it was still a pumpkin. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll figure that out. And she once sent it to me in the mail. I'm telling you, and we tell the story uh, right at the beginning of the show. So listen in. And, of course, you want to hear all the things at the end of the show, too, because some real good learning. So she's the former publisher of Advertising Age. She left a big job a few years ago and founded Soul & Co., a company that helps both companies and individuals gain self-awareness through insightful experiences, art, and soul. Allison Arden is a transformational business leader focused on bringing out people's creativity to impact their lives as we get ready to get back to work. How should we use our powers for good? That's the big question. Allison Arden, welcome to All Business. Why, thank you, Jeff. How are you? I am doing great. You're looking great. You sound great. Are you, how are you doing in New York? Uh, we are all doing, well, we are doing okay. We are thankful yeah. to be healthy and, you know, just have our priorities in order. But and, the sun is shining here, which is a good thing. You got it. You got it. So we, I, I talked at the opening that you once sent me a pumpkin. Let's talk about that. You remember that? You remember that. Of course, I remember that. Uh, you know, it, it was, it's funny. It, it was at a time that was not all that dissimilar than this. It was in 2000, yeah. 2009. And I had just taken over as publisher of Ad Age. And I was in the need to kind of transform a business. But for myself, I was looking to explore my own creativity. And uh, I think to the point of uh, your last guest, Stephen, to look at things through new eyes. And so I just started approaching the world through new eyes and started testing possibility. And somebody told me you could mail fruit without packaging. So it was October. So I decided to test a pumpkin. And you and I actually happened to be at lunch the day yep. I was going to send that pumpkin. And I pulled it out of my purse as I was looking for something else. And you were just like, what is that? Yeah. So why would it? Yeah. I just, you know, cause seriously, why would a woman or a man 
carry a pumpkin in their purse? It is a fair question, okay? It's totally a fair question. And you then calling me pumpkin after that was completely fair as well. Yeah. Um, but I just was testing possibility and uh, and exploring. And so I uh, threw a pumpkin in the mail and, and with my address on it and some stamps. And it arrived at my house, which was completely yeah. a surprise to me. Yeah. And perfectly intact too, right? Um, perfectly intact. And yeah. it was at a time that the post office was losing tons of money. And yeah. we didn't know that you could do this amazing creative thing through the post office. And so it also just inspired me to look at things differently and continue to push the boundaries of what I didn't think was possible. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. It, I thought that was really, really cool to be able to do something like that and just different, you know, and like, like she said, wasn't like, she just wrote on it with a, with a Sharpie and threw some stamps on it. I mean, that was just, whoa, man. I wonder if you could do that with a bottle of scotch. Well, <laughs> we did it with a pomegranate. What I've learned from the post office is that you just can't, it's like, you know, users beware. So if it's something yeah. that'll spoil or something that'll break. Um, yeah. be careful. But I did, um, it was actually, I went through a year of exploration and it's what led me to writing my first book, which was the book yeah. of doing everyday activities to unlock creativity and joy, which is yeah. all about uh, exploring personal creativity. And for people who are um, kind of stuck in exploring what, what it is that they need to do to kind of figure out for them what's next and uh, what they can do to rediscover possibility. And I think we're going to see more and more executives going down that path. We have been for the last 15 years. I mean, I was kind of one of the very first ones, I think, to really step out of the corporate world and just say, nah, I'm leaving it. You know, in fact, I remember when I quit, everybody said, you quit. You could have like probably gotten laid off or something and taken a packet. I said, no, I just quit, you know, and just and went out and did my own thing. Sure. I mean, I did the same thing, but it's it's as important in your personal life as it is in, in corporate life now because yeah. everything needs to be looked at through fresh eyes. This is such a, an important time for us to be exploring new ideas and possibilities and focusing on what, you know, what we can do because nothing is the same as it was before. Yeah. I think uh, in content, especially right now, you know, you let a huge content area in terms of advertising with advertising age with uh, crane communications for years. And to me, content right now, you know, I, I've always said content's king, activation's queen, but context is the kingdom and of, of how you put it forward. You, you know, everyone's been adapting to a new environment lately and you had a massive shift leaving a big job, you know, how did you come to that decision and what did you learn by taking that leap of faith? Uh, you know, I came to the decision because I really did come to this, um, this idea that I realized that I, um, I love bringing out creativity in people and mm -hmm. what I learned during that time of really reinventing a business is that the most important thing that you can do is create team dynamics that, that really work. And if you can create those environments, amazing things can happen. So what I love to do is just see creativity come out in people and that's through individuals and in groups. So I wanted mm -hmm. to go and do that and created a way to, to, to do that. So um, that was kind of the why. What I realized is, you know, and this I think is an important lesson for right now, as you step out of what was a big job or something corporate and you may be doing something on your own, it's, it's all new. And so we, we tend to put a ton of pressure on ourselves and we shouldn't, it's all learning and we're all evolving. And so we need to recognize that 
It's okay to learn. It's okay to make mistakes, ask lots of questions, and just start start experimenting. But don't re- realize you are starting something new. And the new is unex- unexpected and unknown. And that's the adventure of it. So approach it as an adventure, find the fun in it. And also don't take, take some time to just not do anything. You know, go for the run, go uh, spend time with people, go explore, do some arts and crafts, do whatever it is that lights you up, but make sure you take the time to do that because, because um, those are the things that really allow the creativity to come through. Well, speaking of creativity, let's take a quick break and and we'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. We're live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're live casting right here on C-Suite Radio with All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. We're talking to Allison Arden, founder and CEO of Soul & Co. Soul & Co. Talking about creativity. You know, the creativity for you to go find doesn't have to necessarily relate to work, does it? No, it's it's personal and professional. But in knowing who you are, it allows you, and giving yourself the time to explore your personal creativity, it allows you to show up at work in the best possible way. It allows you to show up in your personal life in the best possible way. Um, so it's it's really on on all sides. Can it be can it be physical activity as opposed to like art and soul kinds of things? I mean, because to me, when I get outside. And I do work like, um, you know, physical work. I mean, just just mind numbing, just kind of cutting trees, hauling logs, doing those kind of things. To me, that is my kind of soul stuff. Of course. It's, it's yeah. whatever, again, it's whatever lights, lights you, you up. It's yeah. doing that thing that allows your, your brain to rest. It's not mindless. You're actually, your brain is actually um, exploring and kind of connecting the dots, but you're kind of at rest and you're just allowing yourself that moment of peace. And that's so important for me. And, you know, it could be when I go for a run, it could be when I'm, uh, you know, exploring something with my kids, it could be something when I'm cooking, you know, it's there, there are so many different ways where you are exploring creativity and looking at things through, through new angles and at new angles and all that good stuff that um, allows your brain to take that moment and allows you that moment of peace, but also allows some other things to kind of connect. So when you, you Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, so when you come back to your work, you're actually in in a much better place for, for the work you're doing and for those people around you. Yeah. I need that because if I don't get that, man, I get kind of cranky to deal with. I know it's not an easy thing. I mean, you just get so you get tunnel visioned. We, in what you're doing. Yeah, we all do. Uh, and it's really important right now because there is so much pressure for the people who are still in jobs to remember to take a break, for leaders to remember to check in on their people, make sure just because they're working from home doesn't mean they're working all the time, that they are taking those moments of pause because they will get burnt out and that's not going to be good for anybody. Yeah, because even if you because you you might be spreading that work out over a longer period of time, even though you might be doing some other things that you wouldn't normally do at work, but you're you know, you can't walk away from it. No, it, well, it makes it makes you better for the work you're doing. I mean, there's research that says if you're working more than 50 hours a week, I think that it's 48 hours a week um, it's dimin- law of diminishing returns. So after that moment, just take a break and yeah. give yourself that time. 
Yeah, I'm finding myself to turn it off at night. At the end of the night, no, I'm going to go cook dinner. You know, and I've been and I've been doing the cooking too, a lot of the cooking, not all of it, but a lot of it. And I just say, no, nope, I'm done. So around seven, eight p.m. Could I work till then? Then then I just shut it off, go upstairs, start cooking, and have a nice dinner. Relax. My family's been saying dinner has been happening later and later. <laughs> That's yeah. because I'm cooking most of it, and because I have yeah. a lot to do during the day. But it really is important to to close it down and come together as a yeah. family or on a Zoom call or just to shut it down and do something on on your own. Yeah. And by the way, with real plates and everything, that's what, that's, you know what I'm saying? I, I find myself, I want the table set. I want napkins on the, you know, just, just to give us some sense of that, you know, of, of like it, you know, otherwise you're just throwing it together. We're eating on the couch. Uh, uh-uh, no, no, no. Yes. More dishwashers have been filled. More dishes have been washed. More meals have been cooked, but there, there's been something really nice about it too. Are you a dishwasher person or you like to hand wash them? No. So, well, uh, that's a big debate in my house, but I generally cook in my husband cleans. That's the debate. Um, my son doesn't yeah. understand why we feel we need to clean the dishes before putting them in the dishwasher. Uh, uh. That's just part, part of it. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I've been known to wash a dish or two over the past couple of weeks. Well, my, 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 my thing, I've been washing, I wash more dishes. I like to wash dishes. I like clean dishes and I don't like, I don't like a dishwasher. I don't like putting them in the dishwasher. I just soon wash them just right off the bat. Anyway, why we got off on that, I don't know. You know, a lot of what you, you're talking about is a real sense of self-awareness, which sounds kind of like a, you know, a new age term. But how do you bridge the gap with business leaders to drive results around this self-awareness? Creating self-awareness is so important for individuals and for teams. The work that I've been doing with teams has been around creating self-awareness and giving voice to things that people are afraid to give voice to. And, um, you know, some of this I've gone really in depth and done interviews with all team members to really kind of bring to light what's truly happening. And when you share that back with a team and they are just confronted without judgment of what is actually happening in the team, they all shake their heads and agree. And then it's a way of getting it out on the table so that everyone then can come together. Um, I did work work just like that right before we went into into quarantine. And I spoke to the CEO just the other day and she said, this has been a North Star for our our team during this period where they come back because everyone is still going off on their own thing. And then they come back together and the work we did together, they they revisit and they talk about, is this working for us? So creating the self-awareness and then making it okay for people to talk about the issues. Because if we're not talking about the challenges, then we're not going to actually get to the really good work. Whether yeah. it's in the, you know, what's not working in, you know, inter-team dynamics or what's not working in process. When things aren't working, productivity goes down, everything goes wrong. And we need, we need everyone to be, everything to be working. We need everyone to be working and collaborating in the best possible way. So that self-awareness is as important for people as it is for teams. So how do you get teams to be creative or what, what might be some activities that a team could do right now when we're dispersed and physically distanced from each other? 
Is there any kind of like exercise? I mean, some exercise. I mean, like our team gets together. We get together three times as a full team a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and now Thursdays, because Friday we have this big customer event or member event for the C-Suite Network. So we moved it to Thursdays. Thursdays is kind of our social where we're, we, you know, with a beverage and we all sit around and we, we do something, but we're, but we're trading things like we did um, last week. You had to bring a, a picture of a relative. Nice. Uh, that was kind of cool. And you, and you had to explain why you put, you know, why the picture. And it was kind of fun to do that. I'm working with a group tomorrow and we're going to, each one is going to create them if, if they were a brand. So they were drawing, they're drawing pictures of what they're going to look at, what they are, what they embody to the point of self-awareness and to the point of creating um, team dynamics. Uh, I uh, did one the other day where we just had fun questions where everyone came to answer. Um, but you can also, I mean, I, um, I worked out with a team the other day with a personal trainer over Zoom. That totally worked cool. and, and it yeah. was happy. Uh, uh, there's been karaoke sing-alongs. There, you know, there's all kinds of ways. And, you know, Zoom and other video platforms <laughs> have mm. made it really easy for people yeah. to kind of get over that hurdle and realize that you can create that connection. Okay, team, if you're listening right now, <laughs> karaoke, karaoke. I, I suck at it, but you know what? I want to see and listen to everybody else do it. Yeah. That's going to be it. That'll be good. I, I'm, 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 not, I'm not the singer, but, you know, do you have a karaoke song? I have. You know, the only songs I would know is Almost Heaven, West Virginia. That one I know. And This Old Man. I know This Old Man. Yeah, John Denver song, because I'm from West Virginia. And so I always knew that one. And then the the other side, well, the Star Spangled Banner, of course. And then those are my two favorite songs. And the next one is uh, This Old Man. Because I used to always sing it to my kids because it was the easiest song I can remember. And we always acted it out. And now I sing it to my grandkids. Yeah. So those would be, yeah. That's I'm not going to, not, those aren't good bar songs. Those aren't good bars, karaoke well, bar songs. Country Roads, I think is what you were saying. Country before. Roads. Yeah, you can get by great bar song. Yeah. Uh, but we've been doing that with my with my kids. So my kids are 15 and 18, and we've all been taking a night where we get to control the playlist. And, uh, and so we've now, I mean, we've been in quarantine long enough that we've started going deep on artists. And so everybody chooses an artist. And I've revisited some of my favorites from the 70s and 80s, which has been really fun for me. And I'm who's not, yours? I'm not who's your family. Oh, um, so I don't I don't really have a karaoke song. But the other day I revisited um you know, just some really fun, like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed to say this, um, but like air supply and oh, um, sure. fun, like 80s, yeah. sticks, you know, like yeah. I mean, we had the albums, uh, yeah. we did talking heads the other night, like just, just fun. Oh yeah. I, I can put, you know, now that you say it, Hollow Notes, uh, my baby went to Africa. I, I can know oh. it with the dirty lens photographer. I can, I can now say those terms. There we go. There you go. And my team just wrote up Man of La Mancha. No, I cannot sing Man of La Mancha. Oh, but I could sing the revolutionary song from, uh, what was that French? Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the big play that was the French revolution for uh, that. Les Mis. Les Mis. I could sing almost the entire soundtrack of Les Mis. There you go. Your team now has you for karaoke on that. Yeah, exactly. Now they're typing Les Mis. Oh, this is scary. See, what yeah. actionable steps should leaders be taking right now to become better leaders as we return to work, as we're thinking about this? You know, what about employees? What What are the actionable steps that people could take? Um, I would say it's it's what I was saying before. Make sure you're taking care of your people. 
me mm-hmm. understand. I think what come, has come out of this time is that people have seen into each other's homes and understand the realities of what people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So I think there will be a greater sense of empathy and a greater sense of connection. And it's a perfect time for uh, leaders to be explore, helping their teams explore their creativity, encouraging them to go off and, and test new ideas and test new ways of thinking, both in their personal life and their professional life. You know, that's um, the work that we're doing really kind of gets to that, you know, exploring what what people should be doing and how they can be doing it better together. Ladies and gentlemen, I wrote a whole book around it called The Hero Factor. You know, what sets these great companies apart from other great companies? And it's always about the hero factor. People who put their people ahead of profits. That's the kind of values in the companies I always look for. So, hey, I got to tell you, Allison, what a pleasure to see you and uh, to talk to you. And I'm just excited about all the things that you do and uh, keep doing. Thanks for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you, Jeff. Always great to see you. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I'll tell you what I'd learned in this show. It was a reminder of the values that we've got in the hero factor. And that is... The companies that do really well, that are extraordinary, are those that put their people ahead of profits. And she talked about taking care of your team. You know, at the beginning of this coronavirus, I outlined five keeps. Number one was keep your customers engaged. And then number two is keep your employees focused, right? Number two, keep your employees focused. Always about the people, my friends. Always about the people. That's what I learned right here on C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett. Don't forget, tell your friends about C-Suite Radio and uh, all business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Love to have more listeners. Thanks so much for listening in today. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.